are we going to get it here? Listen, I know some great lyrics to this song. You think I can get away with singing them on the air tonight? What do you mean? What's the matter? Uh-oh, here we go. Got a call from Master Control. We have absolutely no listeners tonight. They just take an electronic survey, so we can do anything we care to tonight. Mr. Leader just called in and says, "Go ahead, spread yourself. Doesn't matter now." Oh boy, where are they? Where are they all tonight? What happened to them? Not one listener. It's terrible. Well, they they had two in Queens, but they don't count Queens. That's enough of that. That's enough of that. No listeners tonight. We can do anything we care to. Let's see. Just walking through Times Square. And um, I'll tell you, there's the greatest sign in the history of the Western world. Greatest sign in the history of the Western world is hanging over... Times Square, and standing there knocking down a jug of coconut juice, and it's balmy and summery out there, you know, and the, and the klutzes have come out, the lemmings have swarmed over from New Jersey, you can see that slack-jawed look, that that pimply-faced expression, and they're all stem millions and millions of them have swarmed all over Times Square, and they're having, a, they're having the usual 548 uh, different... Uh, of fraternity uh, <laughs> initiations that they always have at Times Square. <laughs> have you noticed they all look exactly alike? They paint their faces red. And where they get that red underwear, they're always running around in red underwear and yelling and hollering. You know, the whole scene is going on. And I think, oh, boy, oh, boy, it's beginning to move. It's beginning to come alive. And there hanging over Times Square is this great sign, which we can talk about since uh, there's no listeners tonight. You know, we can just spread ourselves. It's a fantastic sign. It's at least a block long. And will you please give me, uh, if you will, Don, will you please give me eternity music and hit it hard? Oh, boy. This is music of the ages. Eternity music. And they're hanging over all those fruit stands and all those fruits and all that stuff that they're selling down there in Times Square. is this fantastic sign that says... Bring it up there, Don. I'll have to get my March of Time voice warmed up. The Bible. 
brought to you by Dino De Laurentiis. Yes, his production will cover these exciting events. The creation. How's that for an exciting event, fans? Uh, <clears throat> Adam and Eve. Now, there was an exciting event. Cain and Abel. Noah's Ark. These and many other exciting events will be covered in this fantastic motion picture. Uh, only in our time are we privileged to be so nutty. <laughs> hey, you know, I don't mind that sign, but to describe the creation as an exciting event that will be covered by a moving picture, it gives it a, a vaguely uh, Chet Huntley and uh, David Brinkley quality, you know, <laughs> covered by the boys there. Exciting event! I saw that thing. Holy smokes! It's, uh, well, our our time uh, our time is a nutty time. You know, for those of you who think that we're living in a nutty world, I, I'm I'm always uh, fascinated by the number of commentators and book writers and and artists of one kind or particularly artists and long-haired folk singers and so on, who somehow think that we are living in the nuttiest civilization of them all. Oh, yeah, they really believe this. I've heard that said by many of them, that we're living in a nutty, sick society. And the, the implication, of course, being that other societies are not quite as, you know. <laughs> oh, my. Oh, my, it must be wonderful to have such a simple view of the world. Really, you know. Uh, that's, that's like that little kid, you know, who lives in a house and... Uh, his mother and his father are a certain way. You know, he doesn't know much about other mothers and fathers, except uh, he sees them at a distance once in a while, maybe if at all. And it's like this little kid, you know, who's running around, and his mother says, No, you are not going out tonight after 9 o'clock. <laughs> down he goes on the floor, and the feet go down, boom ba da boom ba da boom ba da boom pow and off come the shoes. <laughs> You're the worst rotten mother and father in the world! You're the worst one in the world, the worst Come a time, and don't you forget it. 
Don't you forget it. There'll come a time. Oh boy, you're gonna regret it. Them tears are gonna flow like wine. You're gonna kick your shoes off and lay down on the floor and scream and holler. And your old heart's gonna bust in half just like mine. And you're gonna want me only after you've gone. After you've gone away. great letter here. It says, Shepard, you have... Your your rendition of After You've Gone on Thursday night was by far the greatest musical achievement on New York radio in the past eight years. No kidding. There was soul in your voice. It moved, you know. I would say that the great After You've Gone of 1965 surpasses both your nose flute, Swan Lake Cantata of 1958, and the Darktown Strutters Ball, Head Thump, of late 1960. It is wonderful to have witnessed your musical maturation, to have seen an artist molded. So don't ever feel you are not appreciated musically. A faithful kid listener. That's right. That's just the kind of thing I like to hear. After you've gone and left me crying after you've gone. Oh, there ain't no, there ain't no denying. You want to hear more of that? That's the kind of thing. Of course, you know, uh, speaking of uh, the uh, head thump and the the nose flute, I haven't played the nose flute in a long time. Uh, my actual basic instrument, in case you're interested, is the Jews harp. Uh, I have not played the Jews harp here on WOR for a long time, and it's been, oh, I, I think around 1957, 58 was the last time I played the Jews harp, and you know why? Somebody stole it here, and I think it was Al McCann. My Jews harp was taken right out of my desk, and I have not been able to replenish my Jews harp supply since. So if any of you out there have an extra Jews harp around the house, you get it along over here, and you'll hear it played by a master. You will hear it played by a, a the Van Cliburn of the Jews Harp. As a matter of fact, I'm, I'm not kidding. <laughs> I used to do this terrible show, which I'll have to admit. You know, oh, it's terrible. Uh, all the things that we'll all have to admit to one day when we arrive before that great bar of justice. Can you imagine guys are going to have to confess sins that they didn't even know were sins? Like, for example, watching certain rotten television shows. And they're going to ask you, they're going to look you right in the eye, and they're going to say, did you or did you not? spend the better part of 1965 watching Ben Casey. And you'll say, yeah, yeah, well, that's all. Just wanted to check. Down the chute. After you've gone. And, or, or Beverly Hillbill is even worse. 
That's even worse. Uh, you know, <laughs> I, I've uh, got certain things to admit to uh, musically. And one of them is that uh, when I was doing a show out of the Midwest called the Ohio River Jamboree, and I'm making a prediction here, uh, very freely made, that within the next year, the genuine country and hillbilly and western type, now this is, uh, this is another story, but the genuine Kentucky and <laughs> Tennessee and hillbilly type entertainers are going to come into their own very big, very shortly in the New York area. Now, I'm making this just to... Now, you're going to write me immediately, and you're going, to, you're going to send me the names of guys that are already here and that are making it a little bit ways. No, 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 no. I'm talking about the real ones. I'm not talking about the guys that two years ago uh, came out of Missouri and claimed they were real. I'm talking about guys that are still working down there in the hills of West Virginia. Uh, and, and about every third song they sing, I will guarantee this too, and it'll, be a, it'll become a big camp thing to go and, and see them and dig them. And about every third song they're going to sing will be a hymn. I predict a great absurgence of the hymn as a popular folk thing. Uh, and I'm not talking about the Eddie Fisher type thing, you know, Ave Marie. Not at all. That's not what I'm, I'm discussing. I'm talking about four guys and a chick playing a bass fiddle, uh, made out of a, made out of a, uh, wash tub. And one of them's got a jug, and the other guy's got a Jew's harp, and they will be singing, bringing in the sheaves, bringing in the doing, 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 doing. And, and I, I predict this is going to be a big thing. You know that already out in San Francisco, for example, are you aware that one of the big new hip acts, believe it or not, in a San Francisco coffee shop, very hip uh, type uh, uh, neo-beat coffee shop, uh, vaguely existentialist, uh, one of the big new acts there is a trio composed of three Salvation Army guys. Well, actually, two Salvation Army guys and a Salvation Army lassie. And what do you think they're doing? They're not, they're not uh, doing any folk songs, something like that. They're doing exactly what they do down on 12th Street in the village, where they're beating the drum, you know? And, uh, <laughs> and it's become a showbiz act, believe it or not. Uh, and, and I, I predict very shortly, within the next year, you will see one of these groups, a little Salvation Army group, there's gonna be the guy with the, with the trombone, wah, 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 He's gonna be there, and the little lady with the bass drum, boom, da, da, 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 they're going to be on the Ed Sullivan Show immediately after the Beatles and just before the Yale marching team. Which reminds me, speaking of the Yale marching team, do you have the money button handy there, Donald, please? Is your car old enough to smoke? Uh, what did you say? I said, is your car old enough to smoke? Surprising how many cars are. A car needn't be old to smoke. Some cars start burning oil early. If your car uses too much oil, give it Prestone Oil Miser. Prestone Oil Miser is just what the name says, a miser for oil. Prestone Oil Miser stops oil burning, restores lost power, quiets noisy engines, cuts exhaust smoking. Prestone Oil Miser stops piston slap, too, makes worn engines run quieter. Just add a can of Prestone Oil Miser to your regular oil. 
insist on Prestone Oil Miser, a brand you know, a brand you can trust, wherever auto supplies are sold. If your car's old enough to smoke, and it's surprising how many cars are, get Prestone Oil Miser. That's wiser by far. Prestone Oil Miser is a product of Union Carbide. Well, practically every show when I was doing that Ohio River Jamboree since you... Since we brought up the uh, the whole point of the uh, Jews harp, that one of the high points of the show was when uh, was when the uh, well, I was the MC actually. See, and I, I would sing once in a while, but mostly I was the MC. <laughs> and, uh, and, and the the guy who was uh, was in charge of the, there was a little instrumental group that played the fiddle. Have you ever heard a hillbilly fiddler playing the devil the devil's jig and all stuff like that? The devil's workshop and oh wow. They really swing, and they had this little group. And Buddy Ross is on the on the accordion, and uh, Bonnie Lou would be singing and all that. All of a sudden, Buddy Ross would say, "Hey, cousin Gene, get out that big old Jews harp of yours, and let's get going now. Come on, let's go. It's the Arkansas Fiddler." And I would knock off my famous my famous number on the Jews harp, and then then there would be a great roar of applause. And after that, I would say, all right, now, okay, now, come on, take it easy, all you folks out there. It's him time. It's him time, and old Chuck Acre is going to sing one of the favorite hymns that all you've been writing in and asking for. And we're going to dedicate it to all the ladies out in Louisville, Kentucky tonight who wrote in and asked for this tune. It's Chuck Acre and the boys and the Colorado Cowhands to do for all of you out there, Jesus is God's Adam Bomb. And uh, they, oh yeah, that's a, that's the name of an actual uh, hillbilly type. Have you ever heard it? And uh, they, then there would be that moment of uh, of pregnant reverence, and they would say, "Jesus is God's Adam Bomb." And uh, it was just like such a talk about pure Americana. I mean, it was pure Americana and a yard wide. And then immediately after the singing of that, the crowd would applaud. And uh, we would usually do something like this. We'd say, well, all right now. Okay, now it's time. All you folks out there, it's time to hear. It's time to hear one of those real old-timers that all of you have been writing in and asking for. It's old-time time now. And we're going to go wandering down memory lane. All set out there now. All right. Silver threads among the gold. Silver threads among the Silver threads among the gold. Silver threads among the gold. <laughs> and, and, uh, don't worry, I know where I am. Don't you worry, hon. And I, I, uh, I've often thought of uh, how... Uh, how truly American this is. And, of course, part of the whole bit today, the whole camp bit, uh, uh, apart from its its more obvious uh, lavender-flavored uh, edges and its lace-covered doilies, this is another scene, is a kind of deification of all things basically American. Comic strips, uh, they're all talking suddenly about Castoria, and they're all trying to remember who, whose theme it was on the I.J. Fox Amateur Hour and all that jazz. This is all basic Americana. And there will come a day, believe me, 
when when there will be a group of guys, four of them maybe. One. I remember one time. Did I ever tell you about the time I was doing this this show? It was a. It was all sort of a big family. Now I, I don't know why I got on this subject, but I was reminded of it tonight. I was listening to an FM station. They were making. There's you know there's usually you know the the kind of FM announcer that sort of talks through his nose. He comes right out of the Bronx, and uh, he uh, he speaks very politely and. Uh, uh, tonight we will hear music of the bluegrass region, uh, music which illustrates the basic American drive and vitality of the early settlers. At first we will hear Pete Seeger in a tune which comes down from the 1700s. You know that jazz which has nothing whatsoever to do with with, with the way it really is out there, and anything to do with the spirit, because the whole spirit has been lost. And uh, and I can remember doing a show one night where uh, just one of those things happened, where the crowd that was to be on the show that night, the the, uh, the hillbilly group and the singer and the guy and a couple of chicks and the whole scene, there, was a, there must have been 500 people gathered in the auditorium, and you do not know any anything that is more purely yeasty, I mean really, uh, the human compost heap, than a group of people from Kentucky, southern Indiana, southern, uh, southern Ohio, who have waited 17 hours in line in the heat and are now sitting in a radio studio that is not air conditioned and they are waiting to hear Cousin Chuck <laughs> and, and the Arkansas woodchoppers and the whole gang. Oh boy, I'll tell you, the air is thick and, and uh, they, they bring their lunch and everybody sits around there. Well, the show started out and I began to be aware of something not quite amiss. The little fiddle player who was about five feet tall, just a little tiny guy, made about 75 pounds, was absolutely Talk about being pie-eyed. This guy was 17 sheets to the wind. And they had him jammed in between the accordion player and the guy that played the banjo. <laughs> and they were, they were holding him up. You see, they had decided to keep little, little, little Dicky. Uh, they decided the way they could get by with it was by propping him up. And so here these four guys are all huddled together around the microphone, and I began to see that this guy's knees were buckled and his feet weren't touching the ground. And he was playing that fiddle like he was out of his skull. He was, he's playing like mad. And, and he is at least uh, playing double time at least. Uh, something in his mind as, as he got more and more bagged. Instead, you know, most guys work slower when they get a drink. This guy... Uh, triple time. He he was compensating, you see. I guess he knew from experience that he would slow up if he got drunk. So now he's playing three times faster. And these guys are playing boing, 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 boing. And he's going he's already in the coda, you know. He's going into the reprieve and he's reprise and these guys are just beginning to start the verse. But I remember Another, you want to hear another uh, other stories about these guys? Oh, 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 I made the I made the break. Oh, I made the station break. I'll make another one. This is WOR AM and FM New York, hardworking station. And while we're at it, let's get with the. Uh, let's see, do we have Peugeot tonight? Well, for those of you who uh, are looking for a car, you know, uh, uh, I, I saw an ad this Sunday uh, in the paper about the Peugeot, in which they, you know, they went on about the seven uh, top cars in the world, and the Peugeot is one of them. I can only say this from what experience I've had with automobiles. I personally owned the Peugeot for five years. Uh, I owned the 403. Uh, now, there are two models of the Peugeot available, the 403 and the 404. Personally, I particularly am hung on the 403. I like the design of it. Uh, it won two or three top Grand Prix, the Concorde design 
awards, which means, you know, a, ty a type of uh, design award over the years. But if you do not know anything about the Peugeot, when you go to the International Automobile Show at the Coliseum, be sure to look up the Peugeot uh, exhibit there. They've got, they've got them all on the floor of the station wagon, the whole scene. Now, if you don't know about the Peugeot and you'd like to get material about it, it's a fine automobile. I've driven it through snow, wind, hail, and summer heat. I would like to recommend it personally to you. Uh, send a card to Peugeot, W-O-R, just P-O-O-J-O-E, W-O-R, uh, New York, New York. That's at 1440 Broadway. In care of me, I'm Friendly Fred. And uh, we'll see to, the, uh, see to it that you get the stuff. Oh, speaking of the International Automobile Show, we have a, a note for them here. And this is, uh, I've attended a lot of automobile shows. In fact, did I tell you when I was uh, in England uh, this past fall? I went to the big automobile show in England, which is a big deal there. Uh, and uh, there, of course, uh, they had the Peugeots and everything on display. But when you hear them say that this is one of the biggest automobile shows ever, anywhere, they're not kidding. This, this one holds up with all the great international automobile shows. And for the first time, they really do have international cars on display. Uh, this is the International Automobile Show. Let's see, what are the dates of it? Uh, let's see, the dates will be through Sunday. It's now through Sunday. And it's open every day, of course. And it is really a gas of a show. That's the International Automobile Show at the Coliseum. And we have one other thing. What is this? Hotel Bar Butter, for crying out loud. Did I ever tell you about, you know, every time I hear them mention Hotel Bar Butter. Now, I don't know who the guy was. But one of the very first people who ever got in touch with me years ago when I first came on WOR was the man who owns Hotel Bar Butter. And he didn't call me up as a sponsor or anything like that. I was on all night. It was about 4 o'clock in the morning, and somebody got this call. And this guy called from way out of town. He was listening. And he said, wowee. <laughs> he said, man, he said, you're going to get fired. <laughs> you can't last on that station. Uh, and that's just exactly what he said. And, of course, he was right. And uh, and uh, here here it is. I've got Hotel Bar Butter. I don't know who the guy was. He owned the thing. Uh, and uh, uh, he, he probably is still around. And if you've uh, never tried Hotel Bar Butter, try it. It's made by a listener. <laughs> it's hip butter. Uh, this is Hotel Bar Butter. And uh, it comes, you know, Hotel Bar Butter. Okay. <laughs> Oh, man. <laughs> you know, oh, you know, that reminds me. Uh, uh, I, I uh, constantly... Hey, listen to the sirens. you hear them out there? Turn up the gain. Oh, hear that? There's a lot of action down there in Times Square tonight. You are hearing Times Square in action. Oh, boy. What a cake. Hear it? I'll try it out. There it goes. What was that? It sounded like they were dropping bombs, too. Uh, a lot of action on Times Square tonight. <laughs> you know, uh, uh, speaking of action, I uh, was up, I was on the square tonight walking around and then had myself a big schooner of coconut juice. It's summer, you know, it's beginning to come and I'm looking up there at that big old sign. They, they've got that sign back in action. Am I glad that sign's back? Aren't you, Don? 
That sign on Times Square, the one that marches around there and has the news and all that stuff, and it's going, and, and everything is swinging. And uh, I, I, uh, I go past a record store, and I see all the hip records and stuff in the window, all the dynamic-type comics. Speaking of hip records, by the way, our record is now out. Uh, for those of you who have written and asked about it, and there have been dozens of them, I don't have time to answer that mail, but there have been all kinds of people write about it, and to sort of clear up that problem... The record is out, and this is a record that we made at the Limelight. It's called uh, Gene Shepherd Live at the Limelight. And uh, it's out, and it's available. I know the Colony has it. And I don't know whether Doubleday has it or not, but if Doubleday doesn't have it, you just keep going in and asking for it, and they'll get it. Uh, it's on the quote label, and it was recorded with all the people yelling and hollering, fistfights breaking out. And uh, I was looking in the window of, uh, of, a, of a record shop, and I see all these hip records, you know, all these... All the guys that are, uh, spend most of their time putting down uh, the world we live in. And, by the way, the, the attitude is quite uh, common that we are living in an extremely sick society. This is, a, this is a, a feeling that you hear all the time. I've heard it said on the Arlene Francis show. I heard a guy the other day talking about this. I heard it said on dozens of shows, you know, different people being interviewed, guys that make movies and one thing and another. And I say this comes from, really, primarily, it comes from a very bad knowledge of other societies. And I'm not certainly rationalizing our nuttiness by saying, look at how nutty they are. But I, I suspect that the, that the nuttiness of the 1960s is not a U.S. phenomenon. Not at all. And here is a little piece, you know. Oh, another thing, too. A lot of people think our system is what is sick. Oh, I hear this constantly being said. Well, listen to this little bit. Uh, and I took this out of the post. And uh, I tore this out because it, it, it's, it's such an insanely, uh, peculiarly deadening piece of uh, information and news. And it tells you so much about how truly nutty a society can get that you wonder how people can really be serious about saying that ours is the sickest one around. Listen to this one from London. And it comes out through the Associated Press. The official New China News Agency, now that's an official government outfit, the official new China news agency today announced their 17 top songs recorded by Shanghai Disc Factory. Of course, top music there is top by Fiat. You know, they just announced these are the top songs. The agency described the selections vying for honors in the 17 top tunes as lousing revolutionary songs, music of Asia, Africa, and Latin American countries. And for those of you who are interested in the top three tunes on the hit parade, Top three tones in China hip parade. Here is number one tone. Ho Chi Minh, most beautiful name of Vietnam. That is number one tone. It goes Ho Chi Minh, boing boing, most beautiful name of Vietnam. Vietnam, Ho Chi Chi Minh, most beautiful name of all boing boing. Very nice tone. Now, next tone, number two tone, entitled U.S. Imperialists Get Out of South Vietnam. What thinks? We repeat title of number two tone. You as imperialists get out of South Vietnam, I think. We now sing you one course of number two tone. You as imperialists get out of South Vietnam. You as imperialists get out of South Vietnam. You as imperialists get out of South Vietnam. Rat think, rat think, you as you stink. Very good tone. And now we play for you number three tone. Coming up fast, though, number three tone on Chinese approval, march forward under the bottle flag. 
Long live Algeria! We sing to this to you now. March forward on the battle flag. March forward on the battle flag. March forward on the battle flag. Long live, long live Algeria. Algeria, long live the battle flag. Algeria, long live the battle flag. That is number three tone on the hip parade coming out anyone that's okay down coming out of North China. The only reason I, I, I'm bringing this up, can you imagine a society, a, a peculiar kind of sickness <laughs> that has as a number two tune? Uh, can you just imagine the whole gang singing? We're all sitting around drinking beer and we're all yelling and somebody hollers, Hey, I'll tell you what, gang. How about let's sing in that great new tune? What do you say? Give it to the Viet Cong, boys. Get them out of South Korea, huh? How about that? Get them to those areas, South Korea. Kick them out of the... No. <laughs> and yet, yet, I, I just... Uh, I, I wonder if there is a hippie somewhere in China who's railing about that. I hope so. There ought to be one guy who says, Oh, wow. Oh, wowie. You know? <laughs> and yet, uh, everywhere you turn, this kind of... Uh, and yet, a lot of people would have you believe that this society is an admirable one. You, of course, know that they have a government day. I was reading uh, uh, large numbers of accounts of it off that came off the UP wire the other night. A government day entitled Hate America Day, in which the entire country practices hating America. Just hate America. And it, it is straight out of George Orwell. So much out of George Orwell that it's almost, uh, you know, it's, it's almost like a... Uh, a cliche. How many of you saw 1984 on television the other night? 1984. Did you see that, Don? Well, 1984 appeared on TV the other night, and I'll never forget the first time I read 1984. And it was a curious moment. And this is not the greatest book in the world, but very interesting book in a lot of ways. Uh, George Orwell uh, had, <laughs> had, had some peculiarly prophetic attitudes about the way and the direction that the world was drifting in, including such things as newspeak, doublethink. Oh, it's, it's, it's happening everywhere. Uh, you see this on all sides, uh, that the man who hates the most in many countries is today considered the man who loves mankind the most. You are aware that if you, in many countries, that if you hate enough, you are considered a great lover of mankind. I'll never forget one time I'm in, in North, uh, or not North China, I'm in East Germany, East Berlin, actually. 
and uh, there was a gigantic parade and uh, oh everybody is cheering and this really was one of the reasons why I was there and everybody's cheering down the street and they're all marching of course not easy to get there and and uh, I had gotten there with with a couple of other people it was very official uh, all kinds of visas and one thing and another and here they are marching down the street guys with tin helmets and they've got tanks and they've got 88s and the whole business you know rattling down the street a gigantic parade you never you never heard more Mausers rattling in your life, and they're all marching along, and they have a gigantic sign, which, when translated, means the war for peace, which is right out of Orwell, you know. <laughs> and and I thought, gee whiz, old George would love to see this. These are peace fighters, and then they had flamethrowers and everything else. They're going to make sure that there's plenty of peace, boy, even if they have to use all that flamethrowing equipment to get it. And I'm, I'm thinking, well, well, maybe this is a product of, of the 1960s, you know, maybe a product of, of the 20th century. Not necessarily a system or a people. It might be a product of our time, of the, of the world we live in. Now, we make the time, of course. I think time is, a, is, a, is something like sand and wind and stars. Uh, it's, it's immutable. There it is. Uh, time is, a, is an element, really. There have been arguments about that, pro and con. But do we make the time or, or what? You know, there it is. It's a, it's, a, it's a wild thing to see this peculiar kind of chauvinism settling into most of the rest of the world. We're about the only country where large numbers of people can make a living being against the country and become famous. Now, now, uh, no, that's true, really. Uh, I'm not, I'm not uh, being facetious about this. I've traveled a great deal throughout the world. And, and we have one of the few countries in the world today where you have to literally be anti to be a big name today. Uh, it doesn't make any difference what you are, comic, uh, commentator, news writer, one thing or another. If you are anti, you're going to go. You're going to make it. Whereas in most other countries, that is slowly beginning to decline. And in many cases, it has uh, ceased to exist. It's very difficult to be anti-French in France. I can tell you that. Uh, and I've talked to many a Frenchman. He's told me, uh, and I've been there, and I know that this is not an easy thing to do. It's not easy to be anti-China in China. Not very easy. Now, I'm not talking about systems, either. It's not easy to be anti-Russia in Russia, either. And uh, yet, uh, the, it, you feel a little embarrassed today if you say, oh, boy, one thing I dig is America, you know? <laughs> You do. You have to sort of apologize. You have to. Yeah, yeah. Isn't that true? You have to kind of, kind of, uh, temper it with, uh, with. Well, of course, you know. Well, I, I guess it's because I'm a, uh, you know. Uh, what a couple of days ago, I was in a in a party, and I mentioned this to uh, somebody. I didn't didn't. Uh, I was mentioning it in that way, but it came about uh, and built up to the same thing. And I said, you know, uh, I've traveled around. And I I've got to say this that I just, I like America. I just like it. And there was a kind of funny pause, because it was a very hip party. It was kind of a funny thing, and somebody said, well, oh, boy, how can you say that? How can, how can you say that with all the things that are going on? And I said, well, <laughs> you know, do you know what's going on in any of the other countries? Well, it doesn't seem to make any difference to most people. So, so uh, that's, that's enough. And I said, well, sure, you know, there's a lot of bad stuff going on, but for crying out loud... Uh, <laughs> you have to use a little, uh, I suppose the word is uh, proportion. Many people have lost proportions today. They've lost uh, a sense of proportion. They've lost a sense of context. 
and it's like somebody getting very mad. Now, of course, and I and I am not condoning uh, any any actions of anybody in this country. Certainly, uh, you know the Ku Klux Klan. All these people make me uh, go out of my mind. But nevertheless, uh, it's uh, it is a country. There it is. And uh, wow, uh, when I think of uh, of songs, uh, we we uh, we're, we're very childish, you know. I think the Americans are childlike in the world we live in. We're like a, we're like a large number of wonderful, fascinating, sort of bland, open-faced children in the world. Because our, our country is so young, I suspect this is one of the reasons why. Uh, not only is it young, but uh, it's been for a long time since we did have a frontier, you know, to concern ourselves with historically. It's been for a long time a country that has not really seen much in the way of other countries or been anywhere. And, and perhaps because we are like the new rich family on the block, we're extremely sensitive. We're the most sensitive country in the world. And um, curious, I heard, I heard the other day I was listening to one of the, one of the lady-type shows on the station here, and, and uh, the interviewer uh, asked the uh, interviewee, uh, what he thinks of Americans, of course, he immediately launches into a long tirade about Americans are loud and they carry cameras around their neck and they do all this. And he's talking about the tourists invariably. And why do we always instinctively agree with them? Why do we always say, well, yes, you know, Americans are bad tourists. Do you know anything about English tourists, friends? Now, what kind of tourists do you think the English are? Well, I won't even hazard, I will not say, because I happen to know, I will not make a statement, except the next time you travel around in, in the, an international hotel, ask one of the waiters or the head waiter there or something how he likes English tourists. I'm talking about in an international hotel. I'm not talking about uh, an American hotel over here on Park Avenue. Let's say the next time you get into, let's go to a neutral country. The next time you get into a hotel in, let's say, uh, Amsterdam, you know that you're, you'll find that in neutral countries, by neutral, there are many countries who don't really have that attitude towards Americans. They don't have any attitude, really. They're kind of the countries that just accept people as they come. The Dutch are one of them. Uh, you will find that the tourists, how do you think the tourists are rated from the worst down to the best? Well, I'm going to tell you. And I, I was told this in six different places. I specifically asked it in four different countries. Uh, they rated, uh, of course, maybe, I, have to, I have to say this, that maybe because he, they were talking to an American, it would change their attitude. But without exception, well, let's put it this way. Out of the six, four of them said the worst tourists in the world are English. Now, uh, the others, there was a big argument as to the worst tourists being French. They said the French are just incredibly bad. They yell and holler. They insist on, on unbelievable service. They do not tip at all. <laughs> and uh, and they, they, uh, they rarely can speak any other language but French. And uh, this, this makes problems. Of course, this is always leveled at the Americans. You know, we accept it. We admit it. But are you aware that most French tourists can't speak anything but French? And, and, uh, and uh, do many things, almost the opposite of the American tourists. Now, who do you think also is considered a very bad tourist by international hotel people? The Germans. Well, why? Well, the Germans, uh, they say that, for one thing, the Germans insist, again, on, on tremendous amounts of service. And I heard from, from all six of these people overseas one thing. 
They said that the poor Americans are so apologetic. They tip like mad, and they're afraid to ask anybody for any service. <laughs> and, and, and in a sense, this causes many of the people overseas to have disdain for us. Because somehow, you know, you respect the guy who says, All right, all you guys line up, pick up the stuff, let's go, we're marching. Oh, yeah, well, there you go. Uh, would you like to sing a couple of chorus, choruses of U.S. imperialists get down to South Vietnam? <laughs> it's a nutty world, and maybe it's a product of our time. And I'm certainly not excusing America anywhere here along the line. I am saying, though, that the, that the world of 1965 is one that I think is going to bear a great deal of study a hundred years from now. I'm talking about the world, not just the United States. The W-O-R-L-D, the old fat swinging meatball itself, with gravy, of course.